He's a South Pole elf. <laughs> He's a South Pole elf. <laughs> <laughs> Great elf reference. He was like he was the original Florida man. He Florida was. man shows up, fights everybody. <laughs> Darius Rucker's a national treasure. I passed the SAT. Yeah, you did. Welcome to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Brian Allward, joined as always by... Blaine Zimmerman. Blaine, how are you tonight? Fantastic. You've got your University of Hawaii hoodie on. Yeah. Home field apparel shout out. <laughs> it's a big rainbow and it says, uh. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. I'm a big fan of their hoodies. They're very comfortable. The University of Hawaii are the Warriors? They are now. What were they? The Rainbow Warriors. The hence, Rainbow Warriors. Oh, Rainbow. hence, yeah, keeping it true. Yeah. You forgot the orange and the purple, though, and the rainbow. I didn't create the logo. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode seven of the Presequential Podcast. Blaine, what are we calling this one today? The Frontiersman. Ooh, I like the name of that. Besides picking all the books that we read, you pick the names of every episode. Sure do. And, and you I host like our recording. I also do that. Yes. I felt like The Frontiersman sounded like a classic Western TV show, mm. like The Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it fits Andy pretty well. I really like Can we call him Andy? I'm going to. Oh, I hope you do. Yeah. I was calling him President Jackson or Andrew Jackson or just using his last name. Jackson. You call him Andy, though. Yeah. I love that. This week, we read The Life of Andrew Jackson by Robert Ramini, which is 360 pages long. It's a abridged version of it. So it's from 1988. And that's one of the things that as we go through, I want to make sure we point out how old the book is, because mm. some of them are quite interesting. Yes. So it's an abridged version of a set of a volume of Andrew Jackson books. So he wrote, I believe three Andrew Jackson biographies, okay. and this is the abridged version of all three. So based on how we select the books, I read the reviews, and we had decided previously, and for those of you that have listened to every episode, you're going to know this already, it's got to be about the entire life. We didn't want to read more than one book per president. Correct. And I do read the reviews to make sure that it's not like overtly biased in either a positive or negative way. Got it. And so some books have been disqualified for one of those three things. There were really only like a couple other books, American Lion, but American Lion didn't cover his whole life in the way that I was looking for, because I'm sure that we're going to get that. I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear this episode and be like, why didn't they pick this book? Because it's the most well-known, a little bit off kilter this time by picking an abridged version of three books, but... I thought the book was a good read. I enjoyed it. I yeah, it, it was a national book winner as well. It I was. Mean, his trilogy won the National Book Award. It read pretty quickly. Yeah. I felt. Let's talk about our running page tally, first of all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before we get too carried away. Seven presidents in. What's your guess, Blaine? 2,900. Wow. You're 900 off. 3,868 pages read. I feel like we were, well, obviously we were over 3,000 <laughs> last episode, so I should have known. That's okay. As always, we enjoy a cocktail while we're recording, and maybe you had just had one before I came over to record. What are we drinking tonight, and why, Blaine? Tonight is Indiana's own Hotel Tango two-year bourbon, Mm. and that is because Andrew Jackson was a large bourbon fan, and instead of giving his home state the credit that it probably deserves, Mm -hmm. I decided to give my home state the credit (laughs) instead. That's right. We're Hoosiers by heart. Because it would have been very easy to just pick a Tennessee yes. whiskey uh, with Andrew Jackson being from Tennessee. But 
I love Hotel Tango, and yeah. we get to pick the booze. So. That's right. <laughs> and Hotel Tango is a great distillery here based out of Indianapolis, where we're both from and where we're recording from. It is the, go ahead and give the spiel on Hotel Tango. It's the country's only combat veteran disabled owned distillery in the united states it's very niche yes and it's very good and it's very good yeah travis and, and hillary so hotel tango the phonetic alphabet of h and t hmm. that's their husband wife duo that Fun. own it travis is a uh, marine not that's a right. former marine no, you're you're always a marine <laughs> correct that's right I, I made that mistake one time and got very graciously corrected by yeah. a marine um, who is no longer serving but yet remains a marine also relax marines yes <laughs> <laughs> You can say that because you're in the army. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. So, yes. Cheers to you wherever you are, unless you're in the car, and then I hope you're not drinking. But, Blaine, cheers to you. Yes. We are usually joined by our good friend, Russ Slivka, who is our vice presidential expert mm-hmm. and producer. Correct. And producer Russ. He knows, I, I think it's safe to say he knows too much about vice presidents. He, I would say that he knows more about <laughs> vice presidents than I know about most things. <laughs> He's a great guy. We miss him. And uh, as many of you have survived 2020 along with us. He is going to be joining us via phone. So we apologize in advance for any audio issues there. But right. uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Let's dive into Andrew Jackson. Let's. Blaine, what do you remember about Andrew Jackson from social studies? The uh, I don't remember anything. Mm. Honestly, I feel like his name sounded, you know, obviously I knew he was president. I feel feel like I probably knew a little bit about the War of 1812. Okay. And that's probably where, like, the Venn diagram ends. Yeah. Like, War of 1812, but didn't know specifics like I do now. New Orleans, Florida, yeah. things like that. Not good Native yeah. Americans. And the seventh president of the United States. Yeah. I think that I knew that he was on the $20 bill because I like memorizing those kind of facts. Sure. I think I remember something about the Trail of Tears being in there. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I don't really remember a whole lot about the War of 1812, even now. The only reason that I know, what I knew, was because we had to do Indiana history as children in, what, 7th or 8th grade. Yeah. And so we covered the War of 1812 pretty yeah. extensively, but our knowledge on that will come up in about two episodes. Yes, it will. Yeah. And I think it started in episode four with Madison. Yeah, but like the Indiana portion uh, yeah, of the War sure, of 1812. Sure. I gotcha. Well, let's go to his early life, shall we? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Real quick, yeah, and we don't ahead. do this uh, often. I, I'm just curious overall, because yeah. we usually do this at the end, but I just kind of, before we dive in, I want to know, <laughs> overall, where what is your kind of like gut feeling on Andrew Jackson? Uh, on Andrew Jackson, I think he's an angry, or was an angry, angry man. <laughs> I think probably if you were a... He's a South Pole elf. <laughs> he's a South Pole elf. <laughs> Great elf reference. We're recording this uh, on December third, and both of us. You, you have Buddy the Elf in your in your front yard. Sure do. Oh, Not the real one. He's a South Pole elf. <laughs> Call me Elf one more time. <laughs> anyway, I think if I was a let's say a common white man in the eighteen twenties and thirties, I would have probably loved Andrew Jackson through the lens right now. I'm like, mm. yeah. Gosh, there's a lot of stains on that legacy there, guy. It's weird. We'll, we'll 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 dive more into legacy yeah. later, but like yeah, there are parts of it that I'm like, man, this guy is stinging awesome. Yeah, they're... and then like he becomes president, and you're like, oh, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is rough. Yeah, so yeah. this foreshadowing. Sorry, we usually save that for the end. No, but I, love I just it. 
been I've been ruminating on Andrew yeah. Jackson for a it's while. It's interesting. This book specifically, again, The Life of Andrew Jackson by Robert V. Remini, R-E-M-I-N-I. We'll put that in the show notes probably where you can check Absolutely. out the book. We'll send a link to you. You can buy it. There's a very interesting, almost psychoanalytic element of this book that really helped me see why maybe some of the stuff that he did when he was in full power, mm-hmm. though he believed in the sovereignty and the absolute will of the people. Yeah. Why so much of his early childhood affected him yeah. as a man. Yeah. So let's unpack it. Let's do let's it. go. It's commonly held that Andrew Jackson was born on his uncle James Crawford's plantation in Lancaster County, South Carolina. Now, a few weeks before young Andrew was born, on March 15, 1767, into a Scotch-Irish Presbyterian family, his dad, Andrew Hutchinson Jackson, died from injuries he sustained during an accident at work. So Andrew enters the world, no father, Mm -hmm. single mother, widowed mother. Washington-esque. Yeah, very similar to Washington in that way. Uh, He was born in a region called Waxhaw, which makes him the first president of the United States to be born west of the Appalachians. Due to the dispute at the time over the exact location of the Waxhaw region, it was somewhat of an unsurveyed area of the the Appalachians. Both South Carolina and North Carolina often refer to Andrew Jackson as theirs. Which is funny with his history with South Carolina. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. Like you'd think they'd be like, never mind. Go go ahead and take them north. Jackson remains the only U.S. president in history to not have an exact home state of birth. I did not know that. That's kind of cool. That is cool. Also, the time of his birth was a few years before the outbreak of the American Revolution. He and his family were taken in by extended family relatives. Of course, if you're a widowed single mom with kids to raise, you need support and help. The young Andrew Jackson received a reasonable amount of education from priests in his town, Overall, however, his childhood was marked by poverty and anger towards people. A lot of a lot of anger in young Andrew Jackson. Yeah. His single mom, Elizabeth, struggled to make ends meet to feed both him and his older brothers at age 13. So what are you in these days? You're maybe in 7th or 8th grade when you're 13? 8th grade? 7th grade. Yeah. He joined the local militia and served as a courier during the Battle of Hanging Rock in 1780. So he saw action... Though he wasn't necessarily fighting. But before that... Go ahead. At age nine... Okay. He was a POW of the Revolutionary War. I thought it was when he was 14. I had my notes say nine. I could be wrong. Nine, I've been wrong once 14. before. Yeah. The, it's frontier years. Sure. Yeah. How old are you, son? Points don't matter. The, <laughs> um, either way, somewhere in his mm-hmm. adolescent years... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in between the ages of 9 and 14. 14. He he was a POW, and British officers told him to shine his boots, and he basically told him to pound sand. Yeah. And so the one went to, like, slash him with his sword, and his buddy, like, shoved him or something, and it got him to move just enough that kept him from getting his head chopped off. Yeah. But he had lifelong scars. Yes. From his POW experience. Literal scars yeah, on as his a face. Child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why he was so mad. It was him and his older brother, Robert, who had yeah, been right. captured and starved and abused by the British. And he's like, I don't want to shine your boots. Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah. So it's interesting. The wound may have healed, but the scar lasted his whole life and was a constant reminder of British cruelty. He hated the British. Yeah. Well, I mean, they almost <laughs> cut his head off. That's. <laughs> In my defense. They were, yeah, they were They were like, what, are you a French revolutionist? <laughs> Off with his head. After finally being released from that, he and his older brother Robert were forced to walk 40 
five miles in the rain. Robert was so sick that he was slung over the back of a horse. Andrew, meanwhile, was left to walk through the mud barefoot, without a jacket, and delirious with smallpox. Uphill both ways. In the snow. Their mother eventually negotiated for the boy's release, but Robert, his older brother, died only two days after reaching the family home. Bedridden for months, younger Andrew pulled through miraculously. Now, once he's nursed back to health, this is where it gets interesting, okay? If if you're on the... Yeah, because the almost dying as a nine-year-old POW wasn't interesting. So his mom, who sounds like a nice lady, uh-huh. Elizabeth, let's call her Beth, maybe Liz, Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. She seemed, yeah. She seemed She's nice. She's probably a Liz. She went to go tend sick prisoners of war in Charleston Harbor on a British ship. Didn't wear a mask. 160 miles away. <laughs> yeah. No Purell. No mask. Got cholera. Got cholera. <laughs> died. Yeah. So suddenly, Andrew is a penniless... That's a 15-year-old. 15-year-old orphan. Mm-hmm. Moves to a, a town in North Carolina, Salisbury, North Carolina, scrubs the floors of a law office by day, roams the streets by nights, stealing signposts and moving outhouses where yes. no one can find them. That was his favorite <laughs> prank as a child, was moving people's outhouses. And at this point That's in the book, so I'm like, yes, I'm yeah. an Andrew Jackson stand. You're like, I'm in. Yeah. Yes, stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great. So three years later, he basically passes the bar. Okay, so he does something with his life. Yep. He gets appointed to be public prosecutor for the Western District of North Carolina, which is pretty much the frontier. Like most presidents of the time. Yes, Was correct. a lawyer first. Most presidents yeah. overall, in general. Yeah. If, if you want to be a lawyer, or if you want to be president, maybe go to law school. It probably yeah. makes sense to be Not a lawyer a bad first. idea. In 1788, he migrated west. He bought his first slave, fought in his first duel, and settled in up-and-coming Nashville, Tennessee. Emphasis on first duel. Mm. Go ahead, unpack it. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll start walking our way through them, but mm-hmm. he was no stranger to duels. No. I mean, he, you know, we got to Tennessee, posts up in Nashville, yep. and anybody that looks at him sideways, he's like, all right, let's do it. Do it. Yeah. Grab the pistols. And it ends up being, you know, lifelong afflictions yes. because of it. Several duels. I mean, this is also an age of honor. Yeah. Uh, I liked in episode five when James Monroe, uh, when Hamilton approached Monroe. <laughs> yeah. And Monroe's like, let's do it. I don't think that was the exact quote. But he's like, I'm ready. Let's grab yeah. the pistols. Well, we're going to, well, there's a there's a pretty big Hamilton tie into this episode too. Well, you're going to have to unpack that. You're, I, I am granted I'm a singer and songwriter and musical theater nerd, but you're going to unpack that. Because I don't remember the Hamilton reference in this in this Andrew Jackson book, but that's I shocking. can't I can't wait for you to unpack it. Shocking, yeah. Well, you know, that's what I do. In 1790, Andrew Jackson marries Rachel Donaldson Robards. The first time, yeah. It's a story in and of itself. She technically wasn't divorced from her abusive <laughs> husband before marrying Andrew Jackson. It's the frontier. It's not funny. I'm sorry. It's just. <laughs> He so he didn't know that she wasn't divorced, so they get married, and then he finds out that she is still married. Mm. So they can't. So technically, the marriage doesn't exist anymore. Correct. So the guy sues him, and then he gets mad at the guy. Yes. Then eventually, Wait, Andrew all, Jackson got mad at someone. Yeah. Huh. Shocking. Interesting. It all ended up getting settled, and they get divorced in 1793 and get married again. Yeah. Well, so- she gets divorced to abuser. Yes. Marries Andrew Jackson. Listen, it's the Appalachias in 1790. Things are going to happen. You might be married to someone else when you get married to another person. That's what Rachel did. Actually, this would come back and haunt him later in life in the nasty 1828 election when his future political opponents would 
drag that whole issue back up from we'll however many years there. Yeah, foreshadowing. So he remarries Rachel <laughs> on January 18th, 1794. He's been appointed the Attorney General. Uh, the next handful of years were a political whirlwind for him. So he participated in the Tennessee Constitutional Convention in 1796. He was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives the same year as the state's first and at the time only U.S. representative. Could be considered the original volunteer. I would accept that. Okay. And if you're listening in Tennessee, you probably know a lot Howdy. more about after. <laughs> How y'all doing? <laughs> I love Tennessee. Don't. Let's, oh, I'm man. sorry. I do love Tennessee. Yeah. Nashville's great. Chattanooga's great. Oh, Memphis ch- is awesome. Dude, Chattanooga's. Oh gosh. Yeah. Now I want barbecue and country music. Oh man. Good night. If you are for, listening from for Tennessee. our Patreon subscribers, Russ and I are going to do a separate show just to explain our trip to Memphis. Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys were talking about that uh, before episode maybe five or six. Yeah, you guys we'll, took a... we'll do a whole okay. deep dive for Patreons that. only. And I'll play Walking in So Memphis. if you want to hear it, yes. pay me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said taking a sip of his Hotel Tango whiskey. Blaine, you may recall from our first episode, The Father, about George Washington, that the freshman congressman from Tennessee, Andy Jackson, was present at George Washington's farewell address in 1796. But do you remember what happened when the crowd stood to its feet in applause? What did Andrew Jackson do? He did not. That's right. Which is now, like, par for the course. Yeah. People are not saying He also voted nay for the response because he didn't like the Jay Treaty. Correct. The response that famously Madison... Wrote, wrote after Madison wrote the original speech and then wrote the response to the response. Yeah. Yeah. James, put the feather down. Yeah. I'm working, like, sir. I said nay. <laughs> I said nay. So Andrew was soon elected to the U.S. Senate now, a year later in 1797, but he hated John Adams' administration and resigned in his seat a year later in 1798 with basically no explanation. Also probably in over his head. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if he Correct. resigned because he hated John Adams. I think it was more of like, uh, I yeah. was probably better off in Tennessee. Can't really do this. Yeah. yeah. He was elected judge of the Tennessee Superior Court that year and then major general of the Tennessee militia four years later in 1802. Four years later from that in 1806, when a man named Charles Dickinson called Jackson, quote, a worthless scoundrel, a poltroon and a coward. And in quote, court. Yeah. Yeah, it was in court. It was they were lawyering against each other, litigating, lawyering. Sure, no, we were lawyering. In the duel, he gets shot in the chest. <laughs> yeah, Jackson challenges him to a duel. He yeah. says, "You will not call me a worthless scoundrel, a poltroon." I'd never even heard that word. Yeah, he's like, "You don't know, you don't know how this works." Like, yeah. I'm going to shoot you now. Uh, we now kill each other. So, so Jackson gets a bullet lodged in his chest that yes. stays there for the rest of his life. Yes, it missed his heart by merely an inch. And do you? I, I didn't know this, but his. His loose-fitting coat his almost wife. saved his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, did save his did, life. Because Dickinson aimed, uh, he thought he was bigger underneath there, but yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, and that ended up, he was advised by a doctor to, like, give up alcohol and tobacco later in life mm-hmm. uh, because the bullet was, like, kind of inching its way to his heart, and he was like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't the only piece of bullet lodged in him. Throughout his life. Correct. But before we get to that duel, mm-hmm. let's let's talk about how this one with Charles Dickinson. Not Charles Dickens. Right. That's Dickinson. another that's yeah. another more cowbell. That's <laughs> that's Bruce. Let's talk <laughs> I got a fever. Yeah. Okay. So in spite of the serious wound, uh an inch from his heart, Jackson basically stops the the flow of blood with a handkerchief, raises his own pistol towards Dickinson, fires a shot that stri- that strikes him dead. This is the, like the way the rules work, if somebody shot you and you hadn't shot yet and you're not dead, yeah. you get another shot. I'm not dead yet. So, 
So he basically made this dude just stand there uncomfortably. Yes. For a, like, by all accounts, like, really long, uncomfortable yeah. It's like, wait, I thought I killed you. No. While he just lines it up yep. and murks Boom. Him. Kills him. So Jackson would carry around that bullet in his chest for the rest of his life, as well as the one that you're talking about, a subsequent duel. He had a lot of shrapnel in him for a long, long time. Oh, we're definitely talking about that subsequent duel when it comes out. Okay. All right. So, fun fact, the year is now 1813. Go ahead. In the time of these duels, though, Aaron Burr stayed with him while he was on the lamb. There's the Hamilton Hamilton. connection. Yeah. That's right. When Uh, you said 1813, I was like, you went too far. Unpack that. Go ahead. Yeah. So Burr, he ended up being like a Burr sympathizer right Mm -hmm. after the Hamilton duel. He was like, I mean, I get it, bro. Like, I kill people in duels all the time. (laughs) Uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. And then it ended up coming back to bite him in in the behind Mm. in New Orleans, which we'll get to in Mm. a little bit. But- because I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. Yeah. But yeah, so Aaron Burr used his house as like a, a safe house. This is why neither of us do this podcast alone. Because I barely remember reading that. Well, I mean, like you said, like I really like the Hamilton thing. And Gosh. I really hate Aaron Burr. So like when he yeah. comes up, I'm like, ah, screw that guy. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that. You did, I think, call him in episode one or two a garbage, garbage human. human being. Yeah. Stand by it. You can take your powdered wig off, by the way. <laughs> The year is now 1813, Blaine. In a campaign against the Creek Indians, Andrew Jackson survives on nothing in the wilderness but acorns. It's around this time. Acorns, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've seen acorns. Do you you boil these acorns? Do you roast these acorns? Andrew. Do you just gnaw on them like a squirrel? It's around this time that he earns the nickname Old Hickory, Mm -hmm. given to him by the men under his command for being as tough as the hardwood hickory. They could have just called him Hickory, but they just added that old. Yeah. Just old. Well, everything. I, I have notes on a future episode to make this joke. Oh, okay. Everything was old back then. Mm. It was old rough and ready, old Hickory, old tip of canoe, like everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't worry. You'll hear the joke again. When did they drop the D and just add the apostrophe? Old. Uh, I don't know. Probably. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was much later. <laughs> 1814, the year after he's eaten acorns in the wilderness, he becomes very well known in the Battle of Horseshoe Bend where he defeated the Creek Indians in the Mississippi Territory, otherwise known as now Central Alabama, sir. I mean, so he's in the, there's yeah, a ahead. couple things about the Creek War I wanted to talk about. Please. So he basically had mutinous troops yeah, because the pay wasn't good or the pay wasn't coming in and they had only signed like 100-day enlistments and things like that. Yeah. Was like super mean. I don't know. Mean's not the good. Mean's not the best stern. word. Stern? So he was very stern. Severe. Troops. Yeah. No, severe's a more severe yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. So at one point he ordered John Woods to be executed because John left his post without permission to go get breakfast. <laughs> Classic which Woods. Is like, I mean, that's general order number one. Like, I will guard my post and not leave my post until properly relieved. Like, you just don't do it. But like this dude was like, look, man, I'm not getting paid. Like, my enlistment ended five days ago. I'm getting some breakfast. There's biscuits over And he over was there. like, off with his head. <laughs> um, he didn't have any use of his left arm during the Creek battles because yes. he had this duel where he had bullet fragments in yep. his left arm. Yep. And they kept popping out uh, during w- the war. Would leave the skin. Yeah. Would, and they that happened all the way up through his presidency. Yes. But he also personally <laughs> yes. uh, negotiated the terms of surrender with Red Stick himself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I do remember that. About that bullet in that duel, this is interesting. So that bullet came out. He had an operation in 1832 to remove that bullet. He didn't have an operation. 
<laughs> Andrew Jackson doesn't get operation. No, no anesthesia was available, so Jackson simply bared his arm, gritted his jaws, grasped his walking stick, and said, Go ahead. Okay, sir. (laughs) So the surgeon made an incision, squeezed the arm, and out popped a half ball of the ordinary pistol size. Okay, now, so that one, that's gross. Two, if you're eating, sorry. Three, that bullet was fired by a man named Jesse Benton, who was the brother of Senator Thomas Hart Benton, who would become later, about 20 years later, Jackson's most loyal supporter in the Senate. Mm -hmm. So, irony! kind of fun i also just like that he had a walking stick with him just that walking stick came in handy in 1835 we're not that we're not yeah. there yet but we're gonna get there foreshadowing well okay so we'll we'll finish up the creek wars with lincoya okay i did not know a thing about lincoya who became lincoya jackson not to be confused with samuel latoya <laughs> or <laughs> i samuel. thought you were gonna go with latoya not latoya jackson <laughs> lincoya so lincoya was this creek indian child he had basically been presented to andrew jackson by the creek women who were not killed by jackson's troops who suggested that the baby be murdered because his parents had been killed by jackson's troops oh yeah okay so okay, he's okay. an lincoya is an orphan he's a young yep. child He's not a baby per se, but he's just really young. Sure. Okay. And so the women say, you guys should kill this kid because he's orphaned. I don't know if that was a cultural thing or if that was just them looking out for him saying like, he's he's going to die anyway if we get right. you know. So Jackson, though, decides to protect him and he sends him back to the hermitage while he's still with his army. So Rachel can, can take care of him. And real quick. For those that don't know, the Hermitage is his like plot of land back in Tennessee. His plantation. Yeah, his plantation. Yeah. The Hermitage. Uh, what song is that? That's uh, The Orphanage the from the orphanage. last. Yeah. There it is. Okay. <laughs> so Jackson, this was interesting because when I read this, I was struck the psychoanalytic or the part of me that likes psychoanalysis was like, wait a second. Why would he do that? He said that he felt, quote, unusual sympathy for the child, perhaps because he too knew what it was like to be an orphan. Mm-hmm. As a kid, this was great. This made me laugh and write ha-ha in the margin of ah. the books. As a kid, Lincoya would cover his face in grease paint, jump out from behind trees with a bow and make <laughs> makeshift bow and arrow, and scare other children on the property. <laughs> like, he knew he was like, your people are afraid of mine. <laughs> I've been spending all day in the, in my room making a bow and arrow. Yeah. Finding grease paint somewhere. Oh, it was everywhere. Uh, he, was, he was educated along with Jackson's first adopted son, Andrew Jackson Jr. Uh, we should note out that Jackson had no biological children of his own. And Jackson even had aspirations to send him to the American Military Academy, West Point. Mm-hmm. But this proved impossible. Instead, Lincoya was apprenticed to be a saddle maker until he died of tuberculosis in 1828, a little bit later. So anyway. With the way of almost uh, Grant. Grant started Ooh. out as a saddle maker. Did he? Mm-hmm. Because of Jesse. Man, I you're, you're a handful of books in front of me as far as our reading schedule goes. It is hard. So for those of you that are just listening to this one episode because you're huge Andrew Jackson stands. Uh, <laughs> the entire we, state of Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. The 45th president, huge fan. Yeah, he is. Um, we'll talk about that. We are considerably ahead in reading than we are in recording. Correct. For obvious purposes. And we're ahead of recording yes. from when you guys hear for also obvious purposes. Yep. So we can kind of stay ahead of the game. And so sometimes I find it hard to separate well, the stuff I'm reading about and the stuff we're talking about. Yes. Because like, there's a lot of Jacksonian democracy things mm. that happen later yes. that I, I really want to talk about now. 
<laughs> you just got very animated. Well, you're excited. I am. Yeah, That's good. This is this is my passion. <laughs> In January of 1815, though the War of 1812 was technically over, word had not yet gotten back that the Treaty of Ghent had been signed, okay? So now Major General Jackson and his outnumbered (laughs) army crush the British in the Battle of New Orleans. Yeah, probably what most people know Andrew Jackson for. the Battle of New Orleans. The hero of New Orleans. Yeah. Okay, so listen to these stats. The British casualties totaled 2,459, 386 killed, 1,500-ish wounded, and 500 or so missing. American casualties, whereas the British were 2,459, American American casualties, 333, 55 killed, 185 wounded, 93 missing. I mean, that is insane Mm -hmm. as far as he's outnumbered. I think maybe 15,000 British soldiers and sailors were there to siege the the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. And Andrew Jackson said, you're not going to do that. Becomes the hero. I mean, military glory. Declares martial law. So, I mean, everyone in New Orleans is just like, he's our guy, whether we like him or not. And then arrest this judge, Dominic Hall. The martial law was not a good idea. Yeah. Well, to put it lightly, arrests like the judge in yeah, New Orleans. The guy. Who immediately upon getting out of jail finds him a thousand dollars for arresting him. <laughs> That's such a judge move to do. Yeah. Be like, well, I've got the power to do it. Yeah. Guess what? You owe me a thousand bucks. Which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Considering like most of their salaries were like $1,500 a year. And saltines. Yeah. For the general. (laughs) After the war, he was ordered by President James Monroe in December of 1817 to lead a campaign in the state of Georgia against the Seminole and Creek Indians. He was also told, hey, don't let Florida become a haven for runaway slaves. After Spain had promised freedom to fugitive slaves. Now, a lot of people think that Jackson basically exceeded his orders that he was given in Florida. Uh, His orders from President Monroe were to, quote, terminate the conflict. Jackson, he's like, well, I'm just going to take the whole thing. And uh, before I go, he he wrote Monroe a letter, quote, Let it be signified to me through any channel that the possession of the Floridas will be desirable to the United States. And in 60 days, it will be accomplished, end quote. And then Disney. <laughs> and then Disney. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, he was like, he was the original Florida man. He Florida was. man shows up, fights everybody. <laughs> Steals Pensacola. Yeah, because at one point, like, he put the American flag up and then yes. found out he wasn't allowed to. So they put the Spanish flag back That's up. Right. And he was like, no, nah, it's mine. I'm going to well, put my he, flag back he up. He almost caused this huge diplomatic thing with the British, too. Because he invades Florida in March, takes Pensacola, he crushes the Seminoles and Spanish resistance in the region, captures two British agents named Robert Armbrister and Alexander Arbuthnot, yeah. who'd been working with the Seminoles. So Great names, yeah. Britain. After a brief trial, Jackson basically says, we're going to kill them. Yeah. You're yeah. dead. Congrats. You're dying. And basically, Monroe's cabinet becomes polarized at that point because some are like, well, he went against your orders, violated the Constitution since the U.S. had really not declared war upon Spain. But John Quincy Adams, this is interesting. This this struck me as interesting. John Quincy Adams actually defends him. Quincy Adams, not even six years later, however, in 1824, mm. would... Quote, unquote, defeats him. Yeah, right, right, right. So... It, th- this whole Florida thing after the War of 1812 was really interesting. You can totally dive into it more if yeah. you want to. The Seminole Wars are relatively interesting, too. There are still things that we do in the military this day. Uh, I want to hear about Seminole this. Go, 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 go. So the Native Americans in general, I, I believe, and 
man, somebody's going to be screaming in their car if I'm wrong about this. <laughs> I believe the Seminole Wars was the main foundation of this, was they would attack right before daylight or right after the sun went down. Hmm. And, and we've talked about this briefly in a different episode, because I know I've talked about the concepts yeah. of BMNT and EENT. Um, what is that? Before morning nautical twilight and early evening nautical twilight. Okay. So it's essentially like the darkest part of the day. So like It's always darkest before the dawn. That's what you it's hear. also the coldest part of the day. Oh. So they would attack right before the, the sunrise in the okay. morning. So they started this thing called Stand 2 where you would have your little patrol base and overnight you're in anywhere between one-third and 50% uh, security. So people awake hmm. to see if they could see anything. At Stand 2, you wake everybody up. Hmm. Everything stops. Everybody just pulls security for like the next hour, hour and a half. Okay. Just to be on the lookout, be at high alert. And then once that's over, you go back to your lower security levels and you like, you know, shave and brush your teeth and eat breakfast and stuff like that. Uh, But I could be wrong. I know that it all stems from, it may have been the French and Indian War. So I could be way off on this. But I, and I actually think we talked about it when we talked about the French and Indian Wars. Yeah, I think it sounds But I know that that was part of the Seminole Wars as well. And there were a lot of things that the Seminole Wars did that built tactical doctrine into the u.s military plan for years okay that went on for years because like doctrine ends up staying the same for a very long time and then the civil war changes doctrine a little bit and then doctrine doesn't change again until world war one hmm. and then world war one happens and we have to change things a little bit so doctrine stays the same till world war ii and then world war ii happens wow. and lieutenant colonel winters wrecks shop on everybody and changes the doctrine wow. you know winners i don't band of brothers Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Thank you. Historically, he Thank was you. Lieutenant Winters. And, Got it. But he okay. uh, has a very big imprint on current military wow. doctrine. This, I feel so like that was a huge to... sidebar that has nothing to do with No, I love it, though. Like, I, you, you drew me in with your passion and knowledge. Doctrine is somewhat fascinating and also mm. super nerdy. Mm, I like it. In 1821, the Adams-Onus Treaty is signed. Jackson resigns from the Army, and then he briefly serves as the territorial governor of Florida before returning to Tennessee. So he goes home, and his his body... I laugh, but I, I, I have to laugh just out of amazement that he's still alive at this point. His body basically starts to turn against him. Yeah. He almost dies, okay, just from all the wounds that he's... How hard he has driven himself. His body treated him like he treated British people. Wow, that's a a great metaphor. I passed the SAT. Yeah, you did. He regains his strength, and now he puts his eyes on national politics. In 1823, Jackson reluctantly allowed his name to be placed in contention for one of Tennessee's U.S. Senate seats and gets narrowly elected. His return after nearly 25 years out of office marks the second longest gap in service to the Senate in history. And in case you care, which you probably don't, I do. I had to find out who's got the record of longest gap of terms in the Senate. Mm Mm-hmm. Maryland Democrat William Wythe, who came back to the Senate in 1868 after a 25-year, three-months-and-five-day absence. He holds the record. Yeah. Well, you watch the kids grow up. He did. Yeah. And then they got that scholarship for rugby. Right. Rutgers and wanted to get through Uh, that. Rutgers, uh, the Scarlet Knights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's unpack the election of 1824. Okay. So this is known as the corrupt bargain. All right. Yeah. Jackson decries corruption because essentially John Quincy Adams has lost the, well, there were four candidates, I think, at the time. This one was legit corruption. Yeah, legit corruption. (laughs) So Andrew Jackson wins both the popular and the electoral Electoral college. College. But doesn't have the majority. Correct. 
no majority at the time, which was not 270 at the time like no. it is today. He basically it goes to the House. Yep. It then goes to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Now, around this time, though, JQA, yep. who it was six, eight years earlier, had defended him as the Secretary of State for what he did in Florida because it served the purposes of what the states were trying to do. JQA goes to, help me remember, was it Henry Clay, Clay and Daniel Webster? Mm-hmm. And basically says, hey, Clay, Webster, I'm going to allow positions for Federalists in, in, in my cabinet if I win. Yeah. I'm not going to turn my back on you. But when it comes time now to vote, vote for me. And then they went to Jackson and they were like, hey, would you make me Secretary of State? When I say they, Clay. Clay yeah. went to Jackson, or at least Clay's people went to Jackson's people. Yeah. It was like, hey, if I vote for you, will you make me Secretary of State? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I see what's going on here. Yes. Clearly, you've been promised that. Yes. I'm not going to promise that, and that's garbage. Yep. And then they basically, like, nobody's ever been able to prove that he offered Secretary of State to yeah. Clay. Yeah. But because Clay asked Jackson for it specifically, yes. it was able to be supposed that it was... I believe it's supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why that's where the corrupt party yes. comes from. And Jackson is livid at this point. I mean, he is just... As he should be. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying he's unfounded for that. But I mean, it's it's a big deal. I mean, yeah. he and his people go, okay, these next four years, you might have quote unquote won, but these next four years mean war. And I've seen war. Mm-hmm. John Quincy Adams hasn't yeah. seen war. He's like, I was a POW. Yeah, I was a POW when I was nine to 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do when you were 14? Yeah. Oh, you were the secretary to the ambassador of Russia? And JQA was like, that just means you are weak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Different president said that about POWs. By the way, if you want to hear about John Quincy Adams, we did learn a lot about him in the previous episode in episode six. What was it called? The Sun? The Sun. The Sun. Yes. Yeah. JQA. All right. So he sets his sights on the election of 1828. Okay. So four years pass. JQA is president, whether whether you like it or not. And in one of the nastiest campaigns ever, Jackson is now called everything from a son of a whore and a bigamist to an Indian eating cannibal, quote. He takes these insults personally and he sets out to destroy his opposition. Okay, so 1828 comes around. His beloved wife, Rachel, had become under extreme stress during this election and often struggled when Jackson was away on the campaign. She began experiencing significant physical stress during the election season and died of a heart attack in December 22nd of 1828, three weeks after her husband's victory in the election and 10 weeks prior to him taking the oath of office. So Jackson feels that this abuse from JQA's supporters had hastened her death and never forgave him. She died immediately after reading an article about herself. That's right. I forgot about that. She was in a store. Yes. He had for- kept her completely yes. like shielded from it. Totally forgot she about that. She was in this. a store, picked up a newspaper. There was some article completely lying about yeah. her. Yeah. She had a heart attack from reading it and died. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, he should have been mad. She's buried two days later yeah. at the Hermitage on Christmas Eve. Jackson swears at her funeral, quote, May God Almighty forgive her murderers. I never can end quote hey on that light note we're gonna take a quick break after a word from one of our amazing sponsors you are listening to the presequential podcast hey everyone this is blaine veteran suicide is a huge issue within the veteran community through different experiences too many of our brothers and sisters have gone down this road and the team at vets lives matter is working to combat this issue Vets Lives Matter is a cohort of veteran and civilians working on a mission to enhance veterans' lives. 
by teaming up with local veteran nonprofits across the country through a combination of physical challenges and fundraising efforts, we will end veteran suicide. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at Vets Lives Matter to learn how to donate and participate in challenges in your community. Together, we will beat this. Hey, we're back. Thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast. This is Episode 7, The Frontiersman on Andrew Jackson. It is March 4th, 1829, and now widower Andrew Jackson becomes the first United States president-elect to take the oath of office on the East Portico of the U.S. Capitol. A lot of firsts with Andrew Jackson. First with large crowds? Yes. At the conclusion of the ceremony, Jackson invites the public, hey, come on back to the White House, where his supporters held a very raucous and rowdy party. Thousands of people overwhelmed the White House staff, and minor damage was caused to fixtures and furnishing. Jackson himself was almost crushed to death by a crowd. And the only way they got the crowd to disperse was they were like, hey guys, the booze is outside. That's right. So they moved all the alcohol outside. Yes. And like, what? Someone say booze? So they started like literally climbing out the window. Yes. To get to it. The people's house. Mm-hmm. Which if you're Andrew Jackson, I mean, he was all about the common man, right? He, like he, he was he the people's built, president. He, he would have been a great wrestler. <laughs> what would his theme song be? Oh, man. Well, probably, I don't know. Probably the same as Hulk Hogan's, the I am a real American. Fight he, for the rights of every man. Don't sing it anymore. We owe him oh, money that's at right. that point. Yeah. He basically wanted to rid the entire government of corruption. He was all about the common man. He believed the people were sovereign, their will is absolute, and that liberty survives only when defended by the virtuous. Which will come in very shortly. People loved this guy so much that they were like, dude, let's go to the White House and throw down. And he had a very short inauguration speech. He it was under 10 minutes, one of the shortest yeah. ones we've ever had. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He earned the nickname King Mob shortly after his inauguration yeah. because so many people wanted to be around him. So, uh, and pretty much right away when he started naming cabinet members, yep. he ran into some issues mm-hmm. with his cabinet. And I think that now is a good time to bring Russ in because uh, his vice president, was part of the problem. So, Russ, thanks for joining us on the phone. Do you want to kind of set the stage here? Uh, I think you set the stage already. But as you said, he had brought in his cabinet members, and one of them was John Eaton, his secretary of war, as well, of course, not on his cabinet, but John Calhoun, his vice president. Terrifying human. From South Carolina. Terrifying human. I recently saw a meme that was like every portrait of John Calhoun looks like someone just showed him a portrait of John Calhoun. (laughs) (laughs) So great. But we digress. Uh, John Calhoun's wife, Florid Calhoun, because Andrew Jackson had lost his wife and was now a widower, there was no hostess of the White House that normally goes to the First Lady. The hostess of the White House is in charge of all the social events. Since Rachel was no longer around. John Calhoun's wife, Lorid, became the hostess of the White House and the resident mean girl. (laughs) So great. Lorid had her mean girl crew, which was the wives of all the cabinet members that she called the petticoats. Hmm, right. They kept trying to make fetch happen. (laughs) John Eaton's the Secretary of War, was married to Peggy Eaton. A certified Lord, bluesy. Certified bluesy and feminist. 
according to Florence Calhoun. Just the same as Jackson and Rachel had an issue in the past with the legitimacy of their marriage, John Eaton and Peggy Eaton had the same situation where she did not wait the appropriate year after the death of her husband to marry John Eaton. That'll get you every time. Yeah. And because of this, Florid told her cabinet wives, her petticoats, not to socialize with the Eaton. Oh, they cut her out. They canceled it? Yeah, that's where cancel culture started. (laughs) The petticoats. They did not invite them to their homes or to any social engagement, which, to say the least, angered Andrew Jackson because of his history. Just waiting for an opportunity to get angry about something. Another opportunity to get angry about something. Oh, man. So he immediately went to the side of the Eatons and separated it between the Eatons and the anti He was on record of saying, after he, re- after he retired from being president, what he regretted in life. I could be misquoting him or teeing up the this, this scenario inaccurately. So sorry if you're a, a Jackson yeah, buff more Stan. than I am. But I think he said he regretted not hanging John C. Calhoun of South Carolina had he been given the opportunity. Well, that was probably more for the South Carolina thing. Yeah. But still, back in the day, if I'm just impressed, Russ, that you know this much about petty women wearing petticoats back in the the 1820s. Well, and his obviously his second vice president was... Martin Van Buren. That's right. Martin Van Buren. Who uh, we will learn about next episode. That's right. Russ, once again, thank you for your knowledge of vice presidents. I know that we have the same vice president as last episode, but always bringing the the heat, the fastball. Hey, no problem. (laughs) All right. Russ, we're going to send you all this audio to edit tonight, okay? (laughs) There's a lot of editing. (laughs) There is. (laughs) Thanks, Russ. We will talk to you soon. That's Russ Lifka. Uh, Our vice presidential expert, always bringing the heat. Yeah. He knows way too much about vice presidents. He knows a lot. He he, does too much. So because of this, he essentially had to completely change his cabinet around. He kind of had a lackluster, mediocre cabinet. And this is where we get the term kitchen cabinet. Please unpack this, because when we were prepping for this episode, you had said that. And I was like, I remember reading that, but you seem to know a little bit more about it than me. So basically, this first cabinet that he brought in were uh, friends. Yeah. He wanted to be an anti-politician. He wanted to kind of do things a new way. He didn't want to be like the old guys. Um, so he just brought in his friends, which was a mistake. Yeah. Caused the, the petticoat affair, petticoat junction, if you will. Mm, I will. And so when he redid his cabinet, they yeah. ended up renaming it the kitchen cabinet, which is now the normal phrase to use when you, you bring in your own people and, yeah. and things like that. Because not all presidents, well, up to this point, had changed out their cabinet. Some of them understood like, well, this makes sense. This person knows what they're doing. We're going to keep them in and make a olive branch to yeah. the other party to say, hey, right. your people are doing a good job. We'll keep them Yeah, going. and that's nothing new. I mean, yeah. that's been happening for a while. Where did the name kitchen cabinet come from? Because it had something to do with where the cabinet would meet and the proximity to the kitchen in the White House. Is that accurate? That I don't remember. Okay, we need to look that up. Yeah, we probably should have had that before. Probably. Yeah. You know, but it's okay. Yeah, these things happen. Yeah, it's all right. He also made some pretty significant changes to the White House. Go uh, ahead. He included iron pipes so he could have running water. Hmm. 
and had the first formal garden installed. I think there is a magnolia tree, and I, I'm a sucker for magnolias because in first and second grade, I spent two years of my early childhood in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Remind me what a magnolia tree a looks magnolia like. A magnolia tree is very tall often, has very dark green waxy leaves. Mm-hmm. And a beautiful white, huge blossom that often smells lemony and fresh and clean. It's a southern tree. They're not the ones that like hang over, right? That's Those a weeping willow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Like the forest gum trees. Correct. Those are willows. Yes, okay. yes. They yeah. smell so good. Okay. And my neighbor across the street in first and second grade had a giant magnolia tree. Okay. And I think Andrew Jackson had magnolia trees or a magnolia tree planted somewhere on the White House grounds, but I think it was uprooted recently. I'm going to look that up while you okay. talk about... If you want to talk more about the kitchen cabinet, go for it, but you can talk about something else about his presidency. If well, I mean, like. basically, in terms of today, yeah, relatively boring. Like what... Yeah. And I quote, rocked Washington now would... It's not a big deal. Right. But overall, it, it just was one of the... It was like a, a slight on his presidency and coming in... Yeah, this being the first big scandal just led to more and more. Hmm. And like we kind of alluded to at the beginning, he's one of those people that we read about him and you're like, man, this guy is pretty sweet. Yeah. And then he becomes president. And you're like, ah, I don't know, because then he <laughs> pretty much right on the heels of the petticoat affair. Yes created what became the Trail of Tears. Mm. So the mass Native American removal to the West, he basically had this concept, which multiple presidents before and after him had. This isn't a, a new thing for him. I mean, this it's goes like, back. He's not exclusive. Yeah, this that, goes back to. That Native Americans either needed to become civilized and Christian or will move you somewhere else. Right. Which is essentially the same thing that multiple presidents tried to do to slaves and African Americans. Yeah. Un- under the guise of your own safety. Yeah, because they... They had this pretense that we came and we settled, and this is kind of the beginning of Manifest Destiny. Yeah, um, it doesn't really come into play until what Polk, when people who really was a ja- who was a Jackson stand, yeah, Jacksonian Democrat, yeah, but his son Andrew Jackson Jr. Uh, yes. married Sarah York, and they honeymooned at the White House. It had to be awkward. Yeah, imagine like, oh, where'd you spend your honeymoon? Like, oh, we went to the Bahamas. Where'd you go? We just, we went to the White House. Yeah. 18, we, 1831. Dad was doing some work. Yeah. Yeah, we had running water. Have you heard of it? Iron pipes. Really yeah, good for you. No big deal. Can I close the loop on the magnolia tree? Because I did find it out. And then we'll go back to Trail of Tears. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. So Rachel dies right before he becomes president. Jackson plants her favorite kind of tree. Oh, okay. Okay. A magnolia. Yep. In 1829, he plants it, although it it has been now since taken down. It's actually on the back of the $20 bill. You can check that out. It was her two of you that have cash or the old 20 that (laughs) it's on. Uh, but anyway, it, it had been oh, a it's long. It's not on the new twenty. I don't think it is. Oh. We could check. It had been around for a long, long time. Actually, Obama had delivered an address in front of it using the tree. Uh, he delivered a seedling from the tree to Israel as a symbol of strength and dignity. And so that. we're not going to get anyway. too deep into the bank issue. But twenty dollar bill thing's kind of funny to me. Th- this was ironic. Yeah, there's a lot of um, <laughs> rumor, maybe innuendo, if you will, that the yep. reason that Jackson was selected for the twenty dollar bill was because he was so opposed to paper money as a president <laughs> and he was so opposed to banks that they were like, you know it'd be funny. Yeah. If we <laughs> you know put him on something. And now he may end up not being on it for very much longer. Because well, the no, twenty I I heard go ahead, finish your thought and then the, I, I looked into this a little bit, but go the ahead. The twenty is what is supposed to be Harriet Tubman's It's not though. Because okay. the current Treasury Secretary, and I never know how to say his last name under 45, Munchen, Munchen, 
Stephen Mnuchin. Won't be there much longer. <laughs> By the time you hear this, he right. will not be Treasury Secretary. He, he pushed it to 2028. Oh. He said it's not happening this year. It was supposed to be in conjunction with, I think, the 19th Amendment, which allowed uh, women yep. the right to vote suffrage. Mm-hmm. But he basically said, no, we're not going to do it. Actually, when Trump came in, he said it smacks of political correctness. She should be on the $2 bill, if anything. Oh, my God. <laughs> But but Grover Cleveland, president number 22 and 24, foreshadowing, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, he was on the 20 before Jackson was. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, though. It is, it, it's kind of the height of... I really do. I kind of buy into that conspiracy wing. theory that somebody was like, you know, it'd be funny. Yeah. He hated paper money. <laughs> yeah. And he hated it because he thought a world can totally exist that relies on silver and gold. Yeah. There's nothing and, wrong with that. And, you know, for people that are listening that, that really want us to dive into the bank issue, I'm going to like pop your balloon yeah, right we're now. We're not, not going, going to. I'm no. sorry. And I know was, that that was a big part of, yeah. of his presidency. It's was just a he lot vetoed of these, these bank bills. He was against the bank. It's, it's boring. And we're, it, yeah. we're, we're yeah. here in an attempt to do an entertaining podcast yeah. on the president's to, to do life, legacy, and little known fact. And we'll definitely address the fact that his legacy was anti-bank. Yeah. And over his big two bank. terms, yeah. yeah, yeah, over his two terms, a big portion of that was fighting yeah. the concept of big bank, which at this point, you know, maybe may have been a great idea right. with where we're at now. But essentially him vetoing those bills yep. is what's more important, in my opinion, because yeah. what he did was he brought the executive power to light. So presidents before him, one through six, essentially saw their role as the presidency to uphold the Constitution. And essentially, they would only act on things if a bill came through that became unconstitutional. Yeah. He looked at it from a standpoint of the people elected me. I'm the people's president. And their servant. Which would have been his wrestling name, the people's president, mm. or you know, like The Rock. Yeah. The people that he knew, at least, were against banks. So he thought that the people were against banks. So he was doing what he thought the people wanted him to do that elected him as president twice at this point. Yeah. Because he had been elected and didn't become president. Now he was elected and was about to be elected again. I think that it's interesting that (laughs) shortly thereafter, so we talked about how both North and South Carolina claim claim him. him. Yeah. Well, shortly after he was vetoing bank bills left and right, because I believe he vetoed three of them. I'll take your word for it. South Carolina tried to secede. Oh, man, this was big. And he was like, nope, that's illegal. It's not going to happen. not allowed to. This concept of nullification. Let, let's yeah. close the so loop on the banks. So James Buchanan had an ounce oh, of the gusto. You're jumping to 15. Jackson had. Well, I mean, I because know, know. he's the president they seceded under. Yes. Because for those of you that don't know, South Carolina has been trying to secede for a while. South Carolina doesn't have the best. Uh, now, listen, if you're listening in South Carolina, Mike, like, yeah, I, we love Hootie. We go to Charleston. Every, I go to Charleston every year. Yeah. I Darius Rucker is a national treasure. But South Carolina does not have the best track record when it comes to uh, playing a team sport. Every time they saw an opening, they were like, can we leave now? <laughs> And so this is the first time they really tried to do it. And this yeah. is where Calhoun comes in and yes. why he probably actually said he should have hung Calhoun yeah. was because he ended up going down and really planting the seeds of secession, Correct. which is a weird 
uh, statement to make. The secession seeds. So yeah. So they tried to secede. Well, first of all, let me close the loop super okay. quick on the banks. Okay, he hurls this corrupt national bank into oblivion. His leadership is a significant factor in the economic boom of the 1830s. He's the only president to have paid down in its entirety the national debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, he maintained zero debt for the country, and eventually we're flash forwarding a little bit, but he ended his presidency with this a financial surplus for Van Buren. Yep. So very fiscally minded. Oh, uh, yeah. Not in the big, big, big sense. But I mean, he did a really good job as far as the country's money is concerned. Yeah. Very anti-Hamilton. Anti-Hamilton. Like from, yeah. I mean, yeah, completely. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about nullification. Nullification essentially is the state's right or their perceived right to if a law that is federal is in their terms unconstitutional mm-hmm. as a state they can nullify it mm-hmm. they can basically say nah we're not going to do that okay andrew jackson however he was the first american statesman this was what i didn't know about him but through this this book and other research the book again is uh, the life of andrew jackson by robert v ramini He's the first American statements to offer this doctrine that the union is a perpetual entity, a sacred entity, okay, that is not to be rent into. It's not just because you're a state in the union doesn't mean you have the right to say we're out. Yeah. Okay. And try to pull a Quebec or, or pull a South Carolina in this sense. Let's talk about this, though, because Calhoun plays a big part of it. This is his own vice president plays this part yeah. in this because Calhoun is a, a diehard states rightsman. He's a diehard pro-slavery, South Carolinian. Terrifying I, looking. Do human. not. Go, actually, go Google. Yeah. Don't now. But when you're done with Especially this. Especially not if you're driving because you will wreck. It's horrifying. It does look like he's seeing a picture of himself. Yeah. Like eat young Calhoun's terrifying, old yeah. Calhoun's terrifying. It, yes. Yeah. Buried outside of St. Philip's Church in Charleston, South Carolina. I was just there about a month and a half ago. Yeah. Anyway, he basically sticks it to South Carolina. Yeah. He said, no, you're not allowed to leave. And I they think, were like, I think they wanted to leave beans. over <laughs> beans and toast. <laughs> I think they wanted to leave because of a federal tariff issue. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So the tariffs is always, the tariff issue was always a North versus South thing. Yeah. So the South was like, no, if we're the ones that bring in all yeah. the money because we don't have to pay for our labor. And the North is like, yeah, yeah but we do all the manufacturing. Like, it, it became this whole thing in the South. And South Carolina was like, no, we're going to leave. And, and in all fairness, let's say that I think it was Massachusetts was ready to secede as early as Washington Adams. Yeah. I mean, yep. around there mm-hmm. based on something that was, I can't remember exactly what yeah. it was, but. Yeah, I mean, they, they were always itching, too, and they basically just needed somebody weak enough to yeah. allow them to. There, there's some, this is so what's interesting about— they actually did it with Buchanan, which we'll get into. Gosh, good grief. Uh, it, it just became— they I haven't even read weak, the book, and I'm already rolling they, my eyes. Yeah, Buchanan. they needed a weak individual to allow them to do that. This is something kind of macro, though, about this podcast and conversation that I love. This discussion that started over breakfast one day last July in 2019 at Just Judy's off Binford Boulevard in Indianapolis, Indiana. This conversation about what is the presidency? What even is this American experiment? And even in, if you look at North Massachusetts is ready to secede, or South Carolina and the South is ready to succeed in the 1860s, it's, it's this concept of there is a ragged rebellious strand yeah. within the American DNA that Gadsden, who who made, I, I want to say his name was James Gadsden, but I don't think I have that. I think correct. that's right. Is it James Gadsden? It, it sounds who created right. the don't tread on me flag. Yep. There's something so integral within the American DNA that we're seeing as we read each book and as we discuss Anytime each president. we as a people feel slighted, we go, oh no, we're going to fight against that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in the last year, right? It's we've, it's all I've known. Yeah. I, I was not raised in a in a family overseas that then immigrated to America. I was yeah. born in America and I'm 39 years old, American, love America. Okay. But you're right, though. There is something in our core about rebellion, about sticking it to the proverbial man that I think part of Andrew Jackson that resonated with me was that he loved the common man and that the common man loved him. Yeah. They definitely did. Yeah. So shortly after, for the sake of time, please, he goes on this tour of New England. And I forgot so, about so this. he quashes, he's like, You're not leaving South Carolina. Yeah. And they're like, Okay, sorry. And he goes on this tour of New England and he's the first president to be assaulted. Oh, man. While he's there. And then was he this Randolph? Gets, I think that was the guy's name who. No, that's the guy him. that tried to kill him. Okay. In 1835. We'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. No, that was Richard no, Lawrence. No, Richard Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. We'll so sorry, it might be Randolph. So, okay. but then he goes to Baltimore and he gets there at the same time as Chief Blackhawk, who's being basically paraded around yes, the country as a that's prisoner. That's right. Because us and all of our infinite wisdom thought, like, oh, we'll take this Indian chief and just parade him around yeah. and be like, look what we did. Yeah. It'll be a fun um, PR campaign. And so he ended up, like I said earlier, he sees this doctor. Because the bullet lodged in his heart, refused to give up coffee or tobacco. He's like, oh, well, I, I mean, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. Sorry. Like, have you tried to wake up in the morning? <laughs> so he also had the first assassination attempt yeah, on the president. You, you it was wanna, Richard Lawrence. You want to um, dive into that? This guy was certifiable. Yeah. He claimed he was the heir to the British throne. Yeah. And that... Jackson was somehow stopping him from taking it. Right. It was Jackson was leaving the funeral memorial service of a congressman. Yep. January thirtieth, eighteen thirty-five. He's leaving the Capitol building. Richard Lawrence walks up to him. He's he's first of all he's an unemployed house painter. Points a pistol. Shoots. Yes. Everybody runs. Jackson like goes after him. Like he's like, oh, I I know what to do here. Yeah. He's not even in shock. Yeah. He doesn't even flinch. He's like, it's cool, disarms the guy. Well, no, he no, doesn't no, he just disarm him. He he beats him yeah, in the face. Well, first, first of all, hold on. Richard Lawrence pulls out a gun. It misfires. He pulls out another cocked pistol. Yeah. Shoots again. First of all, it was a damp morning, which was interesting. Yeah. So the, the humidity was potentially the cause of the powder not igniting. Colt hadn't come to power yet. <laughs> right. Yes. In, Which we'll talk about. We eventually. will. The odds of this happening of two pistols misfiring, one in 125,000. Yeah. Jackson rushes towards him. Because if they've got a gun, you run at them. If they've got a knife, you run away. Good night. That's, that's the rule. That's right. Beats him in the face <laughs> with his walking cane. This is the most Andrew Jackson move that I think he's ever made. The walking made. cane that he bore down on while the dude pulled the the bullet out of his arm it comes back he's it's yeah. a loyal walking cane horrified onlookers take richard lawrence to the ground and uh he's incarcerated and charged with trying to kill the president the first president in the history of the u.s to have his life threatened by an assassin uh little known facts not the last are we jumping ahead to little known facts no i'm just saying like okay go ahead for those of you that don't know yeah he wasn't the last president that somebody tried to assassinate no not at all <laughs> not at all and i should know them all i think i do 
But anyway, that's another conversation. Let's wrap up his presidency and go into his retirement. What do okay. you say? Yeah. Well, we talked about that he's the only president to pay down the national debt. Uh, we want to talk about the Indian Removal Act, because this is probably the biggest stain on his legacy, but it's also about his presidency. So let's dive into that, okay? Yeah. Jackson acquires enormous territory from the Native Americans, which was recorded by Americans with pride in his era, mm-hmm. okay, at the time, though it may make us kind of flinch. Yeah. In light of the human suffering involved. By the close of his eight years in office, approximately 50,000, that's five zero thousand, 50,000 Indians had been relocated beyond the Mississippi River. Jackson acquired approximately 100 million acres of land from them in exchange for about $68 million and 32 million acres of Western land. This is probably the biggest stain the biggest mar on his legacy. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I came, mean, came to be known of the Trail of Tears. The Cherokee tribe was the, the one that was most plighted uh, by this. Go ahead, Blaine. Yeah. It's not called the Trail of Tears for nothing. I right. Mean, the, a lot of the Native Americans that were forced Western were, you know, starved to death, cold, you know, hungry. A lot of it ended up bleeding into other presidencies, but his his policies were what made it happen. Yeah. And like we said, like very many other presidents, he had this idea that they needed to shape up or ship out. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's the that's the uncomfortable part of the podcast. Yeah, it, it is. But I mean, we're not looking back and painting judgment on this without uh, I've cast plenty of stones myself. And I sure we're not doing this podcast to judge these presidents. We're doing this podcast to examine them, to have the conversation about how is our country different today, good yeah. or bad, because of what each of them did each one of them stood for, each one of them struggled with and for. So, And what type of human being they were. Yeah. You want to talk, a, I mean, let's talk just a little bit, a little bit about slavery to Jackson. Okay. Ramini writes, it was not really a matter of government concern to Jackson. He Ramini writes, quote, the right of an individual to his private property without interference by the federal government was at the time basic to the whole concept of freedom during this age. For the government to legislate abolition would strike at the very foundation of American principles and institutions, according to the Jacksonians, end quote. Jackson was a slave owner when he died. He did not free his slaves upon his death in his will. He was a young man when he bought his first slave. This is part of this conversation about Jackson. Yeah, I mean, like every president besides the father and son before him, he was a slave owner. And John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Almost every president after him up until Lincoln, yes, to include Johnson after Lincoln, hmm. owned slaves. And it's a very, in my opinion, a very unfortunate stain on the history. Yeah. You know, and it's not something obviously that we can look back and say, oh, they shouldn't have done. I mean, obviously we can look back and say they shouldn't have done that, but right. It yeah, it's it's just a tough it's a tough thing to look back on 2020. Yeah. from 1828. What we're seeing we're, we're seeing know? it now. I mean, just yeah. just this past year, this past June of 2020, protesters tried to topple Jackson's statue in Lafayette Square in DC, right by the White House. Yeah. Four of them had federal charges pressed against them. And I totally understand the yeah. anger and angst that goes behind that. And I totally understand why somebody wouldn't want to celebrate the history of a slave owner. The irony of this, though, is that he founded the Democratic Party. 
Yeah, which ended up flipping because at the time it was... Right. Jefferson had the Democratic Republican Party. Yeah. He dropped the Republican aspect of it. We'll end up getting into this much, much later, but the Democrats and Republicans essentially switched policies yes, because correct. for a long time, especially going into the Civil War, yeah. the Republicans were the party of freeing the slaves and abolition yes. and equal rights for men. <laughs> right, for white men who owned land. Well, they ended up or becoming, just men. You're yeah, right. becoming the party of equal rights yes. for men. So, yeah, but I think that we either are doing really good or really bad <laughs> at highlighting these things, and we're running up on time, and we need to take a break. Let's do this. We're going to take a quick break. You are going to hear from one of our amazing sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about the retirement, death, legacy, and little-known facts about our seventh American president, Andrew Jackson. You're listening to the Presidential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Do you grind your teeth in your sleep? If so, you're among 40 million other Americans who do. Whether it's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is the custom-fitted Night Guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard, and you'll grind through several a year. Using Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. Additionally, Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Cara Pro electric toothbrush. Head over to SmileBrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout for 30% off. 30%. Once again, that's SmileBrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout. Welcome back to the Presequential Podcast. We're talking about POTUS number seven, Andrew Jackson. Jackson retires. He remains very active in Democratic Party politics. Big, big supporter of Martin Van Buren and James K. Polk. There is a Jackson dynasty. Oh, absolutely. Of proteges for the next eight years. Well, probably longer than that. Maybe 12. Yeah, because like the Jacksonian Democrat legacy goes all the way through Grant. Really, he has a pretty heavy hand in getting Polk elected. Correct. Though William Henry Harrison uses his model as a way to become elected. Yes. Even though that he, you know, wasn't endorsed by Jackson by any means, he definitely had a a long-standing legacy after he left the office. He was fearful of the effects on the slavery debate. But despite that, Jackson really, really pushed for the annexation of Texas, which was accomplished shortly after his death, which happened on June 8th, 1845 at his home, the Hermitage in Nashville, Tennessee. Andrew Jackson was surrounded by family and friends at his deathbed. He, startled by their sobbing, said from his deathbed, quote, What is the matter with my dear children? Have I alarmed you? Oh, do not cry. Be good children, and we will all meet in heaven. End quote. He died of lockjaw. He did. Which now we call tetanus, which we get tetanus shots for. I think there was also a good fair share of just abuse of his body (laughs) that caught up with him. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was lead poisoning. If you think about how much shrapnel was in his bloodstream for as long as it was. No, he needed Tony Stark. (laughs) He did need Iron Man. That's exactly what Andrew Jackson needed was that Iron Man thing. Yes. If only only the Marvel Universe was around in 1845. Dang it, Stan Lee. Dang it. His son, Andrew Jackson Jr., died in an unfortunate circumstance climbing a fence. Go ahead. And his 
gun misfired and Oopsies. killed him. Yeah. Oh, man. Dang it. So It's horrible. But he had that sweet honeymoon in the White House. If you're a big, big fan of Stan Lee, are you a Stan Lee stan? Oh, yeah. That's a palindrome. Yeah, that's a thing now. It's a palindrome of words, not of letters. Anyway, Jackson was 78 at the time of his death. Lived a good long life. Yeah, he did. And I mean, he really kind of like ran things behind the scenes like he was playing chess. He really chess. did, yeah. He was buried next to Rachel at a hermitage in Nashville, Tennessee. And like we said before, he did not free his slaves in his will. Let's dive in a little bit to his legacy. While Jackson's accomplishments are marred by the Trail of Tears, there's no doubt that he is one of the greatest presidents in American history. Jackson's greatest achievement by far was saving the Union and putting down nullification. Abraham Lincoln would actually use Jackson's arguments against South Carolina to justify his intended course of action to meet secession years later in 1861. Jackson is generally ranked in the top 20 presidents, as high as 13th and as low as 18th, where he currently sits, according to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey. His popularity has slipped over the past decade, Blaine. Rightfully so. I mean, as we learn more about him and as we evolve, I think, Mm -hmm. as a country, I think that it's probably the right move to move him a little bit further back. Yeah. Probably still in the top half because of what he did in War of 1812, what he did as president, especially the way he stood up to South Carolina comparatively to Buchanan, who just completely did nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... There's a reason why Buchanan is ranked dead last. Yeah. And like we said at the jump, like there's... He's, and, and and said throughout, like, there are things that he did that it's like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And there's things that he did that you're like, man, that almost takes away from the right. whole thing. Let's go current day, okay? Three years ago at the time that we're recording this, 2017, President number 45, Trump, has Jackson's portrait hung in the Oval Office. Which was seen as not a great move. Correct. By many. <laughs> yeah. The Hermitage, this was interesting in the research that I was doing in preparation for this podcast. The Hermitage estate in Nashville has noted a recent uptick in interest in Jackson's life and presidency due to number 45's interest in him. Hmm. So Tennessee, or people within Tennessee, are seeing, wow, our native son is back in a way in the Oval Office, which I thought was interesting. We can dive in. I mean, that's good grief. We're on episode seven. We've got 38 more to go. Yeah, and about three more presidents that were pretty much only presidents because of him yeah that's true that's true let's go into little known facts although william cock unfortunate last name was tennessee's first senator he took office after being appointed andrew jackson was elected senator in 1797 leaving him with the title of first elected senator of tennessee at one point jackson was also the first governor of florida and would become later the first democratic president there was a lot of firsts in his lives he was only governor of florida for what five months five months yeah 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 but he basically started the democrat party there's no basically about it he did yeah which is a considerably different party now correct yes in 1835 this is one of my favorite stories from the book and jackson's life there's the a cheese. Oh, gosh. Wow. Well played. Thank you for that segue. <laughs> There's a dairy farmer in New York named Colonel Thomas Meacham. Loves Jackson. Mm-hmm. Loves cheese. Loves lactose. Decides. Is he in uh, Philadelphia, New York, by the way? I don't know. I think it was, I just have that he's from New York. Because the Philadelphia Cream Cheese Company is actually <sighs> Philadelphia, Please. New York, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Is it? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Upstate wow. New York, up by where we used to live. Man, look at you. Yeah. 
That's impressive. They also, they're not like specifically from Philadelphia. And when they were naming the cheese company, wanted to do something famous. So they were like Philadelphia. Everyone loves the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Thomas Meacham from New York, dairy farmer, says, I'm going to send President Andrew Jackson a 1,400 pound block of cheese. It's a lot of cows. A lot of cows. A lot of milk. Four feet in diameter. Two feet thick. I'm going to send it to him by steamboat. He also sends Van Buren and I think the Secretary of War. I could be, or no, the Governor of New York. He also sends each of them a 500 pound, which was probably a Clinton wheel of cheese. It was, yeah, it was a Clinton. Dewitt probably. Uh, might have been George. Okay, in the P Funk All Stars. Yeah, this dude's got nothing but cows and cheese. Sends it to the president. President opens his door of the White House and says, what am I going to do with all this cheese? I've got an idea. I'm going to invite 10,000 people to my last final public reception as president on my way out. We're going to get rid of this cheese. 10,000 people polish like, off 14 Who will pounds. move my cheese? <laughs> there it is. I got it. I finally got one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great, dude. He wrote the original book. I need a moment here <laughs> while I do math to find out how many pounds per person of cheese was eaten. So 10,000 people divided by 1,400 pounds. Each person had to get away with seven pounds of cheese. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing you moved all those outhouses because they didn't need them <laughs> for a while. This is the country's worst case of lactose intolerance on record. So can you imagine going to the White House and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to hang out with the president. I love Andy J. Here's your seven pounds of cheese. Please leave now. Please leave. Apparently, the block around the cheese house, no pun intended, uh, the White House, the block around the White House reeked of cheddar cheese. For weeks, right? For weeks. Yeah. It was ground into the carpet. So much so that Van Buren was like, this place still smells of cheese. Mm -hmm. Cheddar cheese. I mean, I like cheddar cheese. It could have been worse. It could have been blue cheese. Munster. Munster, yeah. Ugh. But I just love this aspect. (laughs) I love this aspect of Jackson's story that he's just like, he must have opened the door and been like, what am I going to do with 1,400 pounds of cheese? Yeah, because like the... (laughs) Just the idea that now we'd be like, okay, this crazy person sent me cheese, throw it away. <laughs> throw it away. Like that wasn't even no. on the the list of things to do. He was like, you know what we should do? Let them eat cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let my exactly. people eat cheese. Like we need someone to move this cheese. Gosh. I love it. People were writing letters about the cheese. People yeah. were, people were basically coming saying, in and they're being like, I just turned this thing and water comes out. It's wild. <laughs> wild. Tastes a lot like iron, but yeah. wow. It's crazy. Uh, also, he's the only U.S. president to have served as Grand Master. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a Freemason of a Grand Master of what? Of Masonry, Freemasonry. Okay. All right, that's a little bit better. He was a Grand Master of Freemasonry. Okay, of a state's Grand Lodge, the Tennessee Grand Lodge, until Harry S. Truman in 1945. You can see in the Tennessee State Museum Andrew Jackson's Masonic apron. An obelisk and bronze Masonic plaque decorates his tomb at the Hermitage. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about this, but in 1929, Jackson was chosen, maybe with a little bit of a wink, 
to replace Grover Cleveland on the $20 bill. Definitely with a wink. Do you have any other little known facts about Andrew Jackson? Nope. Okay. Blaine? Lockjaw Jackson. <laughs> that's what that's what they called him. Lockjaw yeah. Jackson. I mean, he was definitely polarizing is the word. Um, well, I mean, probably in the times it, he was pretty polarizing, but he swung the pendulum for me. It was an emotional roller coaster yeah. reading about Jackson. Yeah. I think that's the best way. Having gone through the, the books that I have at this point, like, some of them are not emotional roller coasters. Some of them are on the ground. There's not even a bump. We're coming it's, up on one with Martin yeah, Van Buren. Van Buren's one of them. Phil yeah. Moore's one of them. He has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the opposite of what a high school football coach would want out of his players. Like yeah. No highs, no lows. None. He, he he had all highs and all lows. There yeah. was no real middle ground with Jackson. Yep. And I would imagine that it's probably pretty similar to the experience that we just had with mm. our most recent president. Mm. I mean, it was, it was either you really loved him or you really hated him, yeah. and he probably really felt that everything he was doing was what the people wanted right. him to do. Right. I um, would say until Lincoln, Jackson is probably the biggest figure of the early American politics where oh, yeah. like the season between Jackson and Lincoln. Well, and I think that it's somewhat that of a canyon. point that we talked about in yeah. the last episode. So we had, you know, the first five presidents and then we had Quincy who yeah. was very nonpartisan and then kind of the the switch flipped and everything became very partisan. And very, I'm going to do my party's thing. And you'll see with Van Buren moving forward, like these people were, they dedicated their lives to a party rather than the country. And I think that Jackson was really, he, I, I, I do think that at his heart of hearts, he really felt like he was doing what the people wanted him to do. Yeah. I do feel like he wasn't tied to the party wants me to do this so i'm going to do this or whatever the case may be i really feel like he thought that he was doing what the people wanted him to do hey you yeah you listening at the gym or in the car or running errands thank you for listening to the presidential podcast we love spending time with you we love spending time with one another we love all the reading and research that goes into these be sure to follow us on all the socials at presequential that's P-R-E-S-I-Q-U-E-N-T-I-A-L. If you love this episode, please subscribe, share it with a fellow history buff, and leave a review because that really, really helps. Our next episode on Martin Van Buren will be released on April 28th, 2021. Until then, thank you for listening to Episode 7 on President Andrew Jackson, The Frontiersman. You're listening to the Presequential Podcast. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, guys. 